James chapter 3 this evening, James chapter 3, we're going to be spending the next couple weeks finishing up uh, chapter 3 of James, and we're, we're almost there. Uh, we've kind of taken things a little bit slowly through the book of James as we've gone along um, just due to some of our meeting situations and things like that, so hopefully it's been a blessing so far. Uh, the, the title of the message this evening is Pursuing Godly Wisdom. Pursuing Godly Wisdom. And the reason why I titled it Pursuing Godly Wisdom is because I think that's what James is calling us to do. Um, it's easy to just kind of look at this passage and, and, and see this uh, back and forth, this distinction, this comparison between these two types of wisdom and, and just kind of see it in some sense of as just kind of a factual or a, a, a mental leap, right? A mental understanding or just a theological understanding or position. And, and I think really what James is calling us to is a pursuit of godly wisdom. Because left to our own devices, we don't pursue godly wisdom. We pursue the opposite. And we're going to look at that this, this week and next Let me ask you a question. Who do you know uh, that you would consider to be a wise person? If you just think through the people that you know uh, in your life, maybe, you know, from from the past, from to to the current, um, who would you say is somebody who is wise? You don't have to answer that out loud, but just think just think about that. Uh, Maybe it's a parent or a teacher, somebody who influenced your life along the way growing up. Perhaps it's someone that you've seen be successful in business. Maybe it's somebody who uh, has simply been quoted a lot throughout history. You know, there's a lot of uh, wise sayings that we look at. You know, I think of uh, people like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and just all these quotes that we have throughout the years of, of people that I think oftentimes we would consider them to be wise. We tend to ascribe this attribute of wisdom to someone um, somewhat arbitrarily at times. We, we just kind of give them this label as somebody who is wise. Um, and I don't know that we always really think through why it is we are doing that. Often we look at someone and determine their level of wisdom based on their outward success or based on their popularity or based on whether or not we agree with their conclusions. Um, we, we can tend to give somebody the label of wise simply because we agree, right? But what is wisdom? What is wisdom? The dictionary defines wisdom as knowledge of what is true or right, coupled with just judgment as to action. I've always heard it described this way, that it's the ability to understand truth and respond correctly. It's the ability to understand truth and respond correctly. I think both of those kind of, kind of match. Obviously, the second one has probably been more from sermons <laughs> than dictionary.com. But, uh, but I, I think those two pretty much give us the idea of wisdom, right? It's the ability to know what is true and what is right and then to act upon that correctly. That is wisdom. In this discussion on wisdom, um, or this, sorry, In James 3, we see that the author is making comparisons 
of the different types of wisdom. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see that there are two types. Uh, True wisdom, which comes from where? From God, right? Uh, In this passage, from above is where we're going to see it, right? True wisdom, which comes from above or from God, and false wisdom, which does not come from God. It's going to be anything else that is outside of that specific parameter is going to be false wisdom. And this discussion on wisdom can maybe seem a little bit oddly placed as we look at uh, the book of James and we've, we've gone through several chapters now. We're finishing the third chapter. And as you're going through, if you're just kind of reading it quickly or not really taking the time to dig into it and study it, it may, it may kind of seem like an odd place to get this section on wisdom. You know, maybe perhaps you would think, well, why didn't he talk about this back in chapter one, right? Because he already talked about wisdom a little bit back in chapter one. So why didn't he talk about it uh, back there? Well, I think James specifically held off on this because he wanted to help his readers understand in a greater way the need for wisdom, the need for godly wisdom, for wisdom that comes from above. See, back in in James chapter one, he he says, he reminds us that we're all going to go through trials, right? We're all going to go through hardship. We're all going to go through uh, things that that are not enjoyable, things, persecution, struggles. We're all going to go through these things, but God has ordained these things in our life so that he can produce steadfastness of our faith. That's the purpose of it. And then he said, and then he makes a call to us. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, Let him ask of God. Wisdom for what? Well, wisdom to go through these trials and these these struggles the right way. And then he goes into several different issues that he's seeing in the church or that he's hearing about in the church of these people who who have been dispersed. And he's hearing about these things that are going on and he's calling them out. And he's saying, look, you need to ask for wisdom because God is doing this to create steadfastness and you need to understand how to live through, how to endure through these trials. And here's the problems that you're having. And he's, he's not even done. <laughs> There's gonna be some more things that he has to get on him about even after this. But I look at this and as we go through these different things, we just finished a chapter or, or a passage on the tongue. And then he comes to this and he says, now all these different things that we've been talking about, this is why you need wisdom. And we've talked about how there, there are people who, who are making decisions, people who are interacting with others in a way that they're not supposed to be interacting. They're showing favoritism. They're having biting tongues. They're not obeying the word. Other things that he's already mentioned so far in this book of James. And he goes back and he just kind of reminds him, remember how I told you that you need to have wisdom? Ask, ask for wisdom from God. And he's given all these examples of what that doesn't look like. And now he wants to clarify what wisdom from above looks like. As we endure these trials, like those to whom James is writing, we find that we lack the ability at times to discern the correct response. The people James was writing to knew Christ. They knew the teachings of the apostles and of James particularly, most likely. Uh, As we talked about, James probably uh, had been Uh, uh, an elder to them before they had been persecuted and left. So it's not a lack of knowledge that's causing them to fail 
in their relationship with Christ. Did you catch that? You, they know what is right. He's reminded them multiple times. They know the truth. They know what is right. But rather, it's the way that they're responding to that truth that is the problem. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of proper response. After giving them several examples of real problems in the church, James now returns to this theme of true wisdom that is obtained from God as he compares that to false or earthly wisdom that he has observed and reveals the actions of those to whom he is writing. So the big idea tonight and and probably for next week as well, as we're just kind of going to go through this chapter, the rest of this chapter together, the big idea is this. True wisdom from above is evidenced by spirit-filled actions and reactions which expose false wisdom's selfish nature. I'll say that again. True wisdom from above is evidenced by spirit-filled actions and reactions which expose false wisdom's selfish nature. We're going to look at true wisdom next week. And this, uh, this evening, though, we're going to look at the false wisdom. James begins this section by asking a very simple question, one that I, that I already asked you. Who is wise among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? That's an interesting question. Just think about that right now. James is, is talking to these, uh, these believers who are dispersed. They're, they're in smaller congregations spread out uh, throughout the ancient world. And he's writing to them and he's saying, take note of who is wise among you. And in the context of that, obviously, is in the, the, lo- the local church. So as you sit here this evening, just take a moment and think about, in this body of believers, who would you say is wise? Who would you say is understanding? Just take a moment and think about that. See, I believe that this is both a question of introspection as well as a literal external question. It's something that we need to evaluate about ourselves, and it's something that we need to evaluate about others around us. Not necessarily in a judging manner to judge others as to whether or not they're wise, but rather for us to understand how we are perceiving wisdom. Because if we don't perceive wisdom the way Scripture tells us to perceive wisdom, then we cannot pursue it correctly. First, we have an evaluation of those around us, as James says. Don't just think about who is wise and understanding, but but answer this question, why? Why do you think, or why do you consider them to be wise and understanding? What is it about that person that makes you call them wise? Is it wealth? Is it success? Is it fame? Is it power? Is it because they always seem to know what to say, the right thing to say at the right time? What is it? What is it that makes them wise to you? But not only is this an external evaluation, it's an internal evaluation. Because let's face it, we all want to be considered wise, do we not? Is anybody here really just dying to be called a fool? 
I don't think, I don't see any hands raised, you know. Nobody wants to be thought of as a fool. We all want to be considered wise. We, we, we strive for that. And in pride, many times, we consider ourselves as wise. We're going, to look at wise we're going to look at that here in just a second. But all of us want to be considered wise. And I'm, and I'm not bringing that up to be a Debbie Downer, right? I'm not bringing that up to say, well, none of us are going to make it. You just have to think, you know, think poorly of yourself all the time. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is think about why you consider someone, including yourself, to be wise. In fact, usually when we consider ourselves to be wise, we're more likely saying, I'm wiser than that person. <laughs> Are we not? Usually it's not, I'm wise because this is what the Bible says, but I'm wiser than that person over there. And that's simply based on our pride. James follows up this question of who is wise and understanding among you with a a simple observation or clarification. He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Why do you think James waited to give this explanation until now? We've had several passages talking about the way that the church is acting and reacting and interacting with one another, the actions. We just recently went through uh, several verses where it talked about the differences between faith and work and how works are created by our faith. Our faith should be driving us to godly works. And so we get to this passage, and what what does James say about true wisdom? He says that true wisdom is evidenced by good works. The first point this evening is that wisdom's validity is evidenced by actions. James gives us a test to evaluate the kind of wisdom that we think we have. He has commanded us to ask for God, ask wisdom from God in James chapter one. He, and uh, this wisdom, which he'll call later wisdom from above, but yet wisdom is seen declared in his teachings so far doesn't seem to match up. The wisdom that he's showing that the church is, is putting off is not matching the wisdom that is from above. The wisdom that he's called us to pray for is not the wisdom that he's seeing. James tells us to examine the good conduct of those we consider to be wise. He explains that we should be able to point out good conduct and works done in meekness as a sign of that person's wisdom. That's the, that's the clue. That's what we should be looking at. Those people that you thought of earlier, you said, this person is somebody who is wise. Is it because they're good works that are done in meekness? Is that why you consider them wise? Or is it some external form of success? Are we looking to approve wisdom by what God says, or are we simply focused on the outward attributes that we place more value on? We have this comparison, this example of what true wisdom is, and we're going to look next week at how that, what those good works are. 
You know, what are those good works that, that are going to prove that the wisdom that we think we have is coming from God? We'll see that next week. But this evening, we're going to look a little bit deeper at the false wisdom. James turns more directly here in his next statement to an internal examination as he proclaims that if we have bitter jealousy in verse 14, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Remember, we asked the question, not only who's wise among us, but don't we wish to be wise? If other people were to were evaluating our life, would they call us wise? Or would we be a fool? You know, we're evaluating other people's wisdom and other people are evaluating us. Are they seeing true wisdom or are they seeing false wisdom? See, our natural tendency is to not simply look objectively at ourselves against the mirror of Scripture, but rather to begin to compare ourselves one with another. That's that's our natural tendency. And James is revealing to us here that if our actions are the evidence of our wisdom and they're driven by jealousy and selfish ambition, then we cannot boast in our wisdom. Our wisdom is nothing. There's nothing for us to boast in, in our, in our wisdom, or in, our, in our craftiness. There's other passages in, in Scripture that call it craftiness. That's, that's really what it is. If it's not wisdom from above, it's our own craftiness. It's not true wisdom. And if that wisdom is driven by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, those are harsh words, are they not? Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? I mean, let's be honest. Most of us in here are probably not going to raise our hand and say, yep, that's me. I am bitter jealous and, and I have, uh, you know, I'm envious of others. Selfish ambition, that's me. I'm just going after everything for me. We, we don't truly believe that about ourselves most of the time, do we? We like to whitewash our motives many times. And yet the truth is, much of what we do is driven by jealousy or selfish ambition. Even as followers of Christ. Remember, James is not writing to just random people. He's writing to the people who are believers, who are followers of Jesus Christ. And these are the people that he's saying, your wisdom is not wisdom from above because it's driven by selfish ambition. It's driven by bitter jealousy. And so he declares that this wisdom that they think they have to be false. He says, do not boast. Do not boast because it's false. Don't think that you are wise. Don't put yourself out there as a wise person because it's false. It's fake wisdom. As I was thinking about this reality, my mind kept going back to Romans chapter one. And this is specifically not talking about believers, but I think in some ways we can fall into the same trap that we see of unbelievers here in Romans chapter one. I just want to read, starting in verse 18, says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Think about that. By their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. This type of wisdom is anti-truth. It's against the truth. It's false. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Think about that. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became what? Fools. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. I think it's interesting that you don't really see in scripture a call for us to call ourselves wise. Have you ever noticed that? That's something that scripture places upon us based on what we do. That's not something that, that's something that other people say about us. This is something that we boast in ourselves. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We live in a world full of people who claim to be wise. They don't just expect others to tell them that they're wise. They claim it, right? They go out there on the national stage. They go out on social media and they tell us how wonderful they are that they have come to these conclusions and that, and that just they are so wise to think this way. And yet so often <clears throat> it is anti-truth. Have you ever noticed that? The people that are most boastful in their wisdom in their, in their ability to be uh, thoughtful are generally the ones with views that go against Scripture. Why is that? Because that's what false wisdom is. Yet how quick are we at times not only to follow the same, some of these people that we, that we watch, that we listen to, that we follow, it's easy for us to get wrapped up in the same thoughts because of their celebrity, because of their uh, prominence, because of their vocalness. It's easy for us, again, because maybe, maybe their opinion is something that we agree with. It's easy for us to throw a false tag of wisdom on their name. And we follow right along. In the assumption of our own wisdom... If we truly evaluate our actions, we must honestly answer the question, am I driven to action by good conduct? Am I driven to action by good conduct by the steadfastness of my faith? Or am I driven by my earthly passions, my jealousy and my selfish ambition? Because if we're going to pursue godly wisdom, there's only one way to do it. It's not through our selfish ambition. It's not through our jealousy. It is only through steadfastness of faith, which is working out in good conduct. As we continue on here, we see, number two, that false wisdom is driven by self-deception. False wisdom is driven by self-deception. James continues this line of thought 
by stating that the type of wisdom that is drawn from a heart of jealousy and selfishness is not wisdom that has come from God. It's not the same wisdom that we're supposed to ask for. He says this is completely different. Instead, James gives us three adjectives or maybe three uh, instigators or, or catalysts for this false sense of wisdom as we see here in verse 15. It says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but rather is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He says, this is not godly wisdom, but rather it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I want to just take a minute and go through those real quickly. So the first one here is, uh, is described as earthly, right? Earthly. And that simply has the, the idea of something from the earth, something that is of the earth. It's terrestrial. It's, it has to do with down here. It's like the exact opposite uh, from above, <laughs> right? <laughs> the, the wisdom from above and the wisdom from the earth. I guess the most opposite you could get maybe would be from below, but you know, from the earth, right? It's, it's pretty much completely opposite to the wisdom that God has. It's a false wisdom. And it's often a false wisdom that we grant to ourselves simply because we believe we've earned it. It's a wisdom that we claim for ourselves because we believe we've earned it. As I've studied this concept out, I've noticed there are several times in scripture where it gives commands or warnings against this statement, do not be wise, how? In your own eyes, right? You all know the phrase. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Proverbs 3, 7 says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 26, 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Verse 16 of that same chapter, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Just think about that. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Proverbs 28, 11, a rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. 1 Corinthians 3, 13, 3, 18 through 23 says this, let no one deceive himself. Did you hear that? Let no one deceive himself. What do we say? The false wisdom is driven by self-deception. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise, in, his, in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For wisdom of this world is folly with God. Did you catch that? Wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. Being wise in our own eyes, how often do we fall in that trap? How often do we deceive ourselves into thinking that we've got it figured out? We have a tendency to lean on our own understanding, do we not? 
We have a tendency to lean on our own understanding, to think more highly of our knowledge and our understanding and our wisdom than we should. And when we do, we're pursuing earthly wisdom, which is not from above. And God calls us fools. Fools. But not only does he call this, uh, this wisdom earthly, he calls it unspiritual. Uh, the second description is of, of false wisdom is unspiritual. Literally, it is the opposite of spiritual things. That's literally <laughs> the definition of it, the translation of it. It is not spiritual. It is the, the opposite of spiritual things. So again, this is not something that is being driven by God through the Holy Spirit in our life. This is not the type of the wisdom that the Holy Spirit generates in us. Instead, it's a life that is lived void of spiritual concern. How often do we fall into that trap? We get this idea that we've been saved and now I can just live life. I've got my fire escape, right? God saved me and I'm good to go. And, and we live in a way that has no bearing spiritually. Romans chapter eight, verses five through eight says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. How often do we live in the flesh? And yet we think that we are wise living in the flesh. Galatians 5, 16 through 21 but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. For now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That was written to a church. That was written to a church. These are the things that were going on in the church. And yet they considered themselves to be wise. If this is the pattern of our life, we are not pursuing wisdom from above, but we are pursuing wisdom that is void of spirituality. It's unspiritual. So we have wisdom that is earthly, wisdom that is unspiritual. And then an interesting word here, Wisdom that is demonic. Wisdom that is demonic. And the, the third description is interesting. It literally means like a demon. Or it could also be understood or translated as from the devil. This is wisdom literally from the devil. Where did we first see that? 
Genesis chapter 3. Right? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty. was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The temptation of wisdom, false wisdom, a lie, a tool of Satan, even from the beginning. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that it was a tree to be desired to do what? To make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. There is a wisdom, so-called, that Satan gives, that Satan pushes. And it is a lie about God's truth. Is it any wonder that the things that we look at so often in this world as wise are so against the word of God. You think maybe Satan has something to do with that. This wisdom that is not from above is earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. Lastly, this evening, false wisdom leads only to wickedness. False wisdom leads only to wickedness. So what's the conclusion that James comes to about false witness here? He says in verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be what? Disorder and every vile practice. Disorder and every vile practice. Do we not see that in our world? This world where we have so many wise people with all these great ideas that they're promoting. And yet, what do we see more and more and more of? Disorder and every vile practice. That's the result of false wisdom. When we pursue, when we propagate, when we want to attain this false wisdom, when we claim false wisdom, What's the end of it? Well, the end is we do what we want. We pursue the things that we want. We pursue the things that fulfill that selfish ambition. We pursue the things that make us feel better about that that jealousy. And it's all vile practices. Disorder in every vile practice. Going back to Romans chapter one, jump down a few verses, verse 28. After it's described everything about these people who have rejected God, it says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, 
evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. That's an interesting phrase, is it not? Inventors of evil. It's like the natural things are not enough. We've got to come up with something that's even worse. Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That is the wisdom that is earthly and unspiritual and demonic. That's what that looks like. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Next week, we're going to look at what the wisdom from above looks like in the life of a believer. But I have to ask this question as we close this evening. What type of wisdom are you pursuing right now? As you sit here and you look at all these things that that we know we shouldn't be doing, that we know we shouldn't be pursuing, and yet so often we look at ourselves and we think of ourselves as wise, take a minute and ask yourself this question. What type of wisdom am I really pursuing? Is it based on your own opinions? Is it based on your own desires? Or is it wisdom that's from above? Are you living your, are you living your wisdom in acts of faith or in acts of jealousy and selfishness? What are you pursuing? Are you asking God for wisdom and then not submitting to how he desires you to live? It's not going to work. It's not going to work because we're pursuing Wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I want to close with Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Jesus is giving a parable of a song that probably every person in here knows. They've sung it in some form of children's church or Sunday school. But Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, Does that sound familiar from the book of James? Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. A wise man who built his house on a rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Is that not James's point throughout this whole book so far? Yes, we're going to go through trials. Yes, the rain is going to fall and the floods are going to come and the winds are going to blow and it's going to beat on the house of our life. But will you remain steadfast? A wise man will because he hears and does the word. And everyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it.
I don't know about you, but it's, it's frustrating every time you hear of someone who is in the public eye as a person that we look up to spiritually, as a person who we would probably many times call wise. And yet there's some hidden sin, something nobody knew about. And when it's all said and done, what happens? Their house falls. And great is the fall. What kind of wisdom are we pursuing? Are we pursuing wisdom that works itself out in godly works, in meekness? Or are we pursuing wisdom that's for our own jealous bitterness, bitter jealousy, and our own selfish ambition? Let's pursue the wisdom from above. Father, we thank you that you have promised to give us wisdom. As James reminds us of at the beginning of this book, that if we, ha- if we lack wisdom, we can come to you. If we look at our circumstances and we understand that we do not have the, the, the ability to respond correctly, Lord, we know that we can come to you. We can ask you to show us how to live, show us how to respond. And many times, Lord, I know I, know I do that. I know others do that, but I, I fear so often, Lord, I fail to follow that up with obedience. God, you've given us your word. You've given us your truth. And yet, Lord, so often we fail to respond to that truth correctly. We fail to live a life that is led by wisdom from above. And we so often fall into the trap of pursuing our own desires, Lord. Forgive us. Help us to turn from that path as individuals, as families, as a church. Help us to seek your wisdom. Help us to follow your wisdom. Help us to obey. When you give us that wisdom, help us to obey it and help us to be people who live lives of wisdom that are evidenced by good works and meekness. Lord, I pray that that would be the testimony of our church that we would not simply be a bunch of people who come in here and think highly of ourselves as we sit in these pews and as we interact with one another, but Lord, that we would come in here and recognize that we are nothing, that we deserve nothing. It's only by your grace that we are even here this evening. And I pray that we would live in that reality, not seeking our own satisfaction, but seeking your glory. And as we do, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to live it out. We pray that you would be glorified this evening in everything that is said and done in the the hours ahead. In Christ's name we pray.